we're going to get to a topic tonight called the walk of holiness. The walk of holiness. And with that topic, uh, I want to talk about uh, just some, some key things for us to understand as it relates to holiness. And then what does it mean for our lives? Once we grasp and understand holiness, what does it mean for our lives? So let's begin. Let's just start off with this understanding, with this truth. It's going to sound kind of obvious, but let's make this our starting point. God is holy, right? Isaiah 6, uh, I'm going to start with verse 1 and go through verse 8. It says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces. With two they covered their feet. And with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is filled with his glory. And at the sound of their voices, the doorposts and the thresholds shook. And the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried. This is Isaiah. I cried, woe unto me. I'm ruined, for I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. And with it he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, and your sin atoned for. And then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? And I said, Here am I, send me. What an incredible picture we get the opportunity to partake in. This vision that Isaiah has. Isaiah is a prophet. He's a man of God. He's walking in obedience to God's commands. He's living this life of sacrifice and obedience unto the Lord, hearing his voice, delivering his message. Uh, all of these things that, you know, mark him as, as a man who knows God. And yet when he has this greater revelation of the holiness of God, he is completely undone. And he realizes just how sinful he is, even on his best day. We go to the book of Revelation, chapter 4. And I'm going to go through, uh, just, just kind of uh, work through uh, verses 1 through 11 here. It says, After this I looked, and there before me was a door standing open in heaven. And the voice I had first heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the Spirit, and there before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. And the one who sat there had the appearance of jasper and ruby. And it goes on, and it, and it says that uh, surrounding this throne were 24 other thrones, and on them were the 24 elders with crowns of gold on their head. And there was uh, flashes of lightning and uh, rumbling and peals of thunder. And then in front of the throne, seven lamps were blazing, uh, and it says, these are the seven spirits of God. And it says, also in front of the throne, there was what looked like a sea of glass, clear as crystal. And then it goes on and it talks about the four living creatures. Uh, and it describes them. And if we go on down into uh, uh, end of verse 8, it says, and day and night, they never stop saying what we just sang, church. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. 
And it goes on in verse 11, you are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. So again, another incredible picture of, of, of the holiness and majesty of God and the response of those that in any way draw near into the holiness of God. You know, just a, a bowing low and a crying out. Uh, nothing else can be said but a declaring of the great holiness of God. And these two portions of scripture capture just a picture of, of what it'll be like for us to experience the glory and holiness and majesty of God. Now, uh, when we see him face to face, God reveals himself in scripture as holy, not only in these verses, but in uh, many other places. He uh, re Remember, every time we learn about God in the Bible, it's not humanity trying to assign meaning and character and description to God. No, instead, it's God revealing himself to limited human beings that can't grasp and understand. So God throughout the Bible is revealing his character and his nature. So we look at this word holy and that God is holy. And just from those scriptures we read, we understand there's, there's an awesomeness to it. There's, a, there's, a, there's just a, a, a great, great overwhelmedness to, uh, to his holiness. Scripture talks about the beauty of holiness. But what specifically, like just getting right down to it, what does it mean to be holy? Well, uh, it means to be set apart. It means uh, it, it, it basically altogether different, altogether other. Uh, when, when we look up the word other descriptors, one word is awful. Now, not awful as in terrible and horrible, awful as in full of awe. Sacred could be another way that we uh, define the word holy. It's to be set apart from one thing and set apart to something else. That's speaking to we being made holy by God. We are set apart, uh, we are uh, apart from sin and we are set apart unto God. Uh, so it definitely means for us as human beings to be separated from sin. All right, so our first thought here is, so God is holy. And just spending a few brief moments there just to try to unpack a little bit. Wow, what does that mean? That our God is awesomely holy. <laughs> All right, and now a second point, if we're going to talk about the walk of holiness, is we need to realize God has called his children to be holy. 1 Peter 1, verses 15 and 16, it says, But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do, for it is written, be holy because I am holy. And that's actually written in Leviticus chapter 11, verse 44. So again, God is holy and because he is holy and we're his, we are to be holy as well. We are to be set apart. We are to be uh, uh, set apart from sin and set apart unto God. Uh, Hebrews 12, 14 says, make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. If we go back a few verses to verse 10 in Hebrews 12, they disciplined us for a while as they thought best, talking about our parents, but God disciplines us for our good in order 
that we may share in his holiness. And again, let's look also at 2 Peter 3, 11. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, talking about, you know, the, the, the you know, um, fact that the earth is going to be burned up and there's going to be new heavens and a new earth, right? It says, so what kind of people ought you to be? Well, you ought to live holy and godly lives. So God is holy. God is calling his children to live holy. Number three here, let's understand holiness is both the work of God and his people. Do you notice that, that it said in several of these verses, because God is holy, be holy. So we can't manufacture holiness. We can't make holiness happen. It's the work of God. Through our relationship with God, through Christ, through our relationship with Christ, through the shed blood of Jesus Christ, we are saved, we are cleansed, we are set apart, and we are made holy. The blood of Jesus cleanses us from sin, and it is so powerful because it breaks the power of sin over our lives. We become completely free from the dominion of sin. So because of the work of God, through Jesus, because of the work of Jesus on the cross, we are able to be made holy, right? Our righteousness is not our good works. Our righteousness is the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, through Christ Jesus. So it's the work of God in our lives. We can't make ourselves holy. Yet the scripture does say, well, because God is holy, be holy. So we don't want to mess up our understanding and try to have a, a walk of works and a faith of works. You know, okay, God said, be holy. So I guess I have to go make myself holy. No, it's, that's not what it's saying. It's saying, because God has made you holy, live holy, right? So there is a God part. And then there is the part that we do. We're called to then walk out, to walk in holiness, right? We're saved by grace through faith, but we're told that our works demonstrate the faith that we're living out and walking out. And of course, we need to acknowledge if we're going to walk in holiness, we must do it in the power of the Holy Spirit, right? When we become born again, God's Spirit comes and dwells on the inside of us, and we have now Holy Spirit from whom the, the fruit of the Spirit works out in our lives, but it's him who gives us the power to be witnesses, the power to live godly, righteous, holy lives. So we've been made holy and righteous and godly in position because of what Jesus did. Now we have to, in our lifestyle, walk that holiness out. Amen? All right, so let's talk then about walking in holiness. Well, what, what are some ways that we walk out holiness as a daily walk? Well, number one, and, and let me say, these are some things that if we will do these things, they will stir up in us a heart for holiness. All right, so number one, live in light of eternity. In light of the great white throne judgment, in light of how incredible heaven will be and how horrible hell will be. Live in, live in light of the fact that uh, we will stand before him. You know, live in light of the fact that God says you ought to live holy and godly lives, right? It says uh, in scripture for us to fix our minds and to fix our eyes on things above, 
right? So if we live in light of eternity, hey, we have to live in the day to day. We have to work. We got to pay bills. We have chores to do. We have, you, you know, kind of temporal duties, responsibilities, interactions. But it's one thing to live in this world and not be of it. It's one thing to live in this world, but to know this world is not our home. And to live in this world in light of eternity will cause our vision to be one to live the way God has called us to live. All right, so we can live in light of eternity. That's going to help us walk out the walk of holiness. We can walk after the Spirit. And again, so that's talking about with intentionality, choose to not walk after the flesh, but with intentionality, choose to walk after the Spirit, right? In Galatians 5, 16 to 25, So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. The acts of the flesh, they're obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambitions, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. So again, we get this picture. Think about walking, you know, just an example. If you're walking down the road with a friend and you want to keep in step with them, right? Your eyes are on their steps and you're being intentional to adjust how you're walking so that you can walk in step with them, right? So just just a, 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 a small illustration there to just lay out this picture for us, walking after the Spirit. It's something we certainly do by faith, something we do by grace, but it's something that we have to be intentional when we examine our lives, to walk circumspectly and to make adjustments in our lives so that we're walking in step with the Spirit, as opposed to walking in step with the flesh, with the fallen world system, or, or any of that. Okay, another thing that we can do is uh, develop a hunger for holiness. You know, so part of that can be, you know, uh, having our mind renewed on the Word of God and understanding the fruit and the benefit of walking out holiness with the Lord before the Lord. A fourth thought is we can fight the good fight of faith. And again, we walk in holiness by faith, right? Again, Peter uh, tells us his divine power has given us everything we need for life and for godliness. So given us everything we need for life for holiness, right? So uh, it's, uh, Lord, by faith, I thank you that even though uh, I, I'm, you know, let's say the example, my, my temper is getting raised up here. Lord, that's the flesh, and I'm purposing to not walk after the flesh. I'm going to fight the good fight of faith, and you said I have everything I need for godliness. So I say no to the flesh, and I say yes to godliness in the name of Jesus. All right, part of that then leans into my next point, 
on how we can walk this out is to crucify the flesh and die to self. And, and part of what I just said about fighting the good fight of faith, uh, you know, is crucifying the flesh. I say no to the flesh in the name of Jesus. And part of crucifying the flesh, again, uh, is very, very practical. You know, part of uh, killing the flesh might be, uh, you know, just simply looking at what, what do I need to do differently? What needs to change in my life? Uh, who do I need to bring into accountability? Does there need to be fasting? You know, uh, what do I have to find in the word that I can stand on so I can uh, fight this good fight of faith, believing that who God said I am? That I'm holy, I'm righteous, I, uh, I'm, I'm a godly person because of what Jesus did. I'm going to fight that good fight of faith. Deny my flesh, right? Take up my cross, follow him. Uh, and, and I'm going to uh, do these things here and I'll be on the highway of holiness. Okay, another thought, and I want to spend a little time on this one. Because I think this is a big one. Is embrace, um, I don't have this in my notes, but uh, maintain protect the fear of the Lord in your life. Let me just take a look at some verses in Proverbs that talk about the fear of the Lord. And again, remember here, we're not talking about fear as in terror. We're talking about fear as in awe of absolute reverential respect, right? Proverbs 1.7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and discipline. Uh, it says in uh, chapter 2, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. In verse uh, chapter 3, verse 7, do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and shun evil. Chapter 8, verse 13, to fear the Lord is to hate evil. I hate pride and arrogance, evil behavior, and perverse speech. So we have a good picture of things that are the opposite of holiness. Right. So let me just pause there for a moment. So going back to this idea of working, you know, out being intentional to walk in step, to walk with the spirit, not after the flesh. You know, if we see pride, you know, putting that pride down, you know, uh, speech that is as it shouldn't be, you know, confessing that, giving that over to the Lord. Um, all of those things, you know, are, are uh, steps that we can take to be actively walking into holiness. Right. Again, understanding. I keep wanting to reinforcing that. That's coming out of uh, a walk by faith. That's coming out of knowing that we're saved by grace. Nothing that we earned, nothing that we built. But then we uh, have to then follow up with corresponding action, right? Let's look at a few more of these on fear of the Lord. Chapter 9, verse 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. 14.2. He whose walk is upright fears the Lord, but he whose ways are devious despise him. Verse 16 of the same chapter. A wise man fears the Lord and shuns evil, but a fool is hot-headed and reckless. Verse 27. The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life, turning a man from the snares of death. Verse uh, 6 of 16. Through the fear of the Lord, a man avoids evil. 23 and 17. Don't let your heart envy sinners, but always be zealous for the fear of the Lord. 28.14, blessed is the man who always fears the Lord, but he who hardens his heart falls into trouble. Right, and that's why I said earlier, we want to embrace and we want to protect and we want to nurture a healthy reverence, you know, and, and fear of the Lord. Uh, 
Proverbs 31.30, charm is deceptive and beauty is fleeting, but a woman that fears the Lord is to be praised. So again, when we realize here, familiarity breeds contempt. So the longer we walk with God, we want to make sure that we maintain this healthy uh, fear of the Lord. So a little more uh, description on what, what is this reverence. Well, I think one, it's recognizing his holiness, right? That's where we started this talk, his justice, his righteousness, that those are all counterparts to his love and his mercy. So it's knowing him and understanding fully who he is. So again, we, we live in a, uh, you know, our Western culture and then probably even more accented in our modern American culture. There is so much that's geared toward what's in it for me, uh, having it my way, uh, instant gratification, all of these things. And, you know, in that culture, we could really, really uh, get zoned into the love of God, the mercy of God, and the goodness of God. And man, those things are all things that we want to know, embrace, and it's all real, and it's all true. But if we're going to walk that path of holiness, we need to realize he's also just and righteous, and he is absolutely holy, right? All right, another thought on uh, what is it is the fear of the Lord. To fear the Lord is to regard him with holy awe. All right, and as I mentioned already, reverence, and to honor him because of his majesty and his power. You know, for instance, um, if we go back in the Old Testament in Exodus, uh, when the Israelites are delivered out of Egypt, and they're at Mount Sinai, and they're going to get the law, God shows up on the scene. And, you know, the, the story that, you know, usually we share in Sunday school is about Moses going up the mountain and getting the Ten Commandments, right? But actually, before Moses went up the mountain, God's plan was to come and appear before all the people. And he showed up over the mountain, and it was like burning fire over the top of the mountain. And there was peals of thunder, and there was lightning. And, and just the sheer manifest presence of God shook the ground, shook the mountain, and shook the people, the Israelites, to the core. So much so that they thought we can't even handle being in his presence. Moses, you go up, you get the law, bring it back, and we'll do everything that God says. You know, And it's unfortunate that they shrunk back from that encounter with his holiness, because we know right after that they got into all kinds of crazy sin. You know, uh, but to, to have pressed into what God wanted there and what God desired there, he wanted there to be such an impact and impression of God's holiness that it would spur them on to walk out uh, as, as God has called them to be his holy people. All right. Another thought here on, on holiness, true or on fear of the Lord, true fear of the Lord will cause believers to place their faith and trust in him alone for salvation. You know, it was interesting, these same Israelites, when they crossed the Red Sea and God did this incredible miracle, they just were in such awe of him. It was him alone that they feared. And we see that in, you know, the song that they sang and the praise that they gave to God uh, through the miraculous deliverance that, that God brought. Um, it tells us in Psalm 115, verse 11, the fear of the Lord produces in God's people a confident hope and trust in him. 
And also another aspect of fear of the Lord is a recognition that God does hate sin. You know, uh, we live in this incredible age of grace, you know, where, uh, you know, we are to be preaching the gospel to all of creation, that Jesus bore our sins, that we don't have to bear the punishment of our sin, that Jesus did it for us. And what amazing, wonderful grace, what amazing, wonderful mercy and love. Um, but along with the celebration of those things, it does us good to remember the high cost of sin. Of It's what put Jesus on the cross. It's what um, made Jesus have to come and die on the cross. And so part of maintaining a fear of the Lord is uh, a, a remembering how God feels about sin, a remembering of how separate from sin that God is. Amen. All right, um, let me uh, scroll down here. I brought more notes than I thought I was going to be able to get to tonight. Um, so I'm just going to skip through one section. I'm going to move on. All right, some personal implications about fear of the Lord. If we truly fear the Lord, we will live a life of obedience to his commands. And we will speak a resounding no to sin. So I'm talking more about when we foster a true reverence. And, and, and you know, notice the word I'm using, foster and embrace and protect this is in our relationship with him as we worship him, as we feed on his word, uh, and as we uh, purpose to maintain awareness of his holiness and his call for us to be holy. Then the, the desire to obey is going to be just so strong, right? Uh, and the, the ability to push back and say no to sin is going to be so much uh, easier in, in, in those times and seasons. Um, the fear of the Lord also, number two, has a sanctifying effect on God's people. As we reverence him, uh, and I guess really that's what I just leaned into in the first point, it's going to be easier to obey because there's a sanctifying, there's a purifying, there's a burning away of the chaff and, and uh, all that's, uh, right, the word talks about wood, hay, and stubble. Right? The fear of the Lord has an effect that will sanctify us, that will cleanse us, purify us. Uh, and notice in, in how many of those verses in Proverbs that I just read about fearing the Lord, where it talked about hating sin. You know, So a prayer that I pray with great regularity is, Lord, help me to love what you love and help me to hate what you hate. You know, uh, I'm sure you've heard, right? I, I have, as well as many other, most other pastors will refer to this, this illustration of the frog in the kettle, right? That if you take a frog and you put him in a kettle of water and slowly turn the heat up, he won't be able to discern what's happening. And that frog will be boiled to death uh, and it, it will die uh, in that place. You know, if we just let ourselves be that frog in the kettle with the culture that's all around us. Our culture, not only does our culture not hate sin, our culture isn't calling sin, sin anymore. Even further, now our culture is saying, how dare you call something sin that I want to do, right? And, 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 and I mean, literally in almost every arena of life, there becomes justification in our culture for violating God's commands. 
So if we want to be people who are not the frog in the kettle, man, we've got to be people of the word. We've got to be people in, in true fellowship, true relationship with the Lord. And as we do that, we will hate sin. We will turn away from what is evil. Uh, rather than being the frog in the kettle and uh, just becoming more and more and more okay with it, like unfortunately is happening in much of the world, much of the church world. Um, also, you, you know, fear of the Lord will cause us to be careful with our speech and with what comes out of our mouths. Uh, it protects us uh, from uh, breakdown morally, from compromise. And again, fear of the Lord, as I mentioned, uh, it's cleansing. Uh, it's redeeming in its effects. Uh, and then the holy fear of the Lord will motivate God's people to worship him with all of their hearts. Right? There's something about walking in this pursuit of holiness that creates a greater abandonment to the Lord. Right? There's not the competing that's going on. There's not the tug of war that's going on between the flesh, you know, and between our spirit man, right, that's walking after God. But when we have such a holy reverence of the Lord, man, it just kind of shakes that stuff off. And then just another cool thought here, God has promised to reward those who fear him. So I, I threw out a lot of different thoughts here. I would say today was maybe a little less of a sermon and a little more of just a talk uh, maybe a one-sided conversation, but my heart has been so stirred on some of these thoughts. And, you know, we're praying for revival. And man, do we really need to pray for revival. And my heart has really been in pursuit. Lord, uh, how do we as your people, how do we prepare ourselves? And how do we break up the ground so that revival can come? You know, uh, oftentimes it's a remnant that starts, that will pray, that will seek his face. Um, and again, we've referenced a lot in this last year, you know, that verse from 2 Chronicles 7, 14, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I'll hear from heaven, I'll forgive their sin, and I'll heal their land. And so that, that becomes such a great statement of the, the kind of ingredients that need to be in place if we are going to see revival. Um, it would, it, it's a beautiful thing. I believe that God wants to send revival that would hit the globe. Um, but the kind of things we're talking about here tonight are things that can bring personal revival. And you want to know what? Just a few people, you know, when the church is dead and dry, a couple of people that show up burning on fire for the Lord, it'll set that place ablaze for him, Right. I think it was John Wesley who said, I, I, something to this effect, I, I set myself ablaze for God. I set myself on fire for God and people will come and watch me burn, right? That's, that's an interesting picture on some folks coming and seeing, wow, I see God there. I see the fire of God there and I want that. So I would just encourage us here. I'm, I'm going to pray in just a minute as we're talking about this pathway to holiness, you know, uh, just to reiterate, just to make sure that we're hearing clearly. So, you know, my good works don't save me. My good works don't cause God to love me. Uh, God already loved me and sent Jesus for me while I was still in sin. And uh, my salvation doesn't become, doesn't come because of anything that I've done or earned, but it comes free gift because of what Jesus did. And I receive that by faith. And it's because of the grace of God that that's available. 
And when I receive Jesus by faith, he moves into my heart. I become born again, and he makes me a brand new creation. And so in position, my spirit man on the inside, I've been made holy. I've been made righteous. I've been made godly. But now God wants me to walk out that holiness and walk out that godliness. And that, that translates into my day-to-day -day choices. That comes uh, down to what my hands find to do, where my feet go, uh, what I say, what I think, uh, what I allow into my, uh, my thinking, my frame of reference. And again, let me circle back. It all comes down to my choices. So God says, I've made you holy because I am holy. Now, with your choices, intentionally walk into holiness with me. And again, summing this up, if we will keep a holy reverence for him above everything else, that will create an environment for us where we'll be revived, where we will see the fire and blessing of God in our lives, and where we'll be walking out holiness with him. Uh, you, you know, Smith Wigglesworth, I'm, I'm reading a devotional from him right now. And uh, I was thinking back to uh, one of the stories I read about him as well. Uh, he was a man who lived in just passionate pursuit for the Lord. Uh, and he was a man who walked out uh, a tremendous holiness. Uh, and in that, because of that, he had a very powerful testimony. It was a very powerful anointing on his life. Um, and uh, there was no compromise in his life or in the way that he lived. And there would be times where... He would be with other ministers in, uh, in, in times of worship. And, you know, we haven't seen a lot of this recently, but I do believe as God's people press into him that we'll see days like this again and greater. But days where the glory would fall. And I'm not just talking about people feeling um, warm and blessed. I'm not just talking about even people being moved to tears. But I'm talking about the glory of God falling to the point where folks would be just on their face, sometimes not even be able to physically move because of the manifest glory of God as his people were worshiping him. And I can remember uh, one story of, of a gentleman who was with Smith. He was getting to spend some time with him. And uh, one of these prayer meetings, he had heard about some of these prayer meetings. And he thought, well, if that kind of glory hits, I want to be somebody that could stay in that room and just worship God. Because what would happen is one by one, people would literally would have to leave the room. And again, we started in Isaiah chapter 1, so we know what that looks like. Isaiah, man of God, prophet of God, but he's in the glory. He's in the throne room. And the holiness of God is just about wiping him out. You know, so here this is happening in a tangible way uh, in, in, in these meetings with Smith Wigglesworth. And, and this, this man speaks of that happening and him saying the holy, the holy manifest presence of God was so tangible. Uh, and it was so, so strong. I literally felt if I don't leave, I won't live. I won't be able to, to stay in his presence. And so it would be that everybody else was out of the room, but there was Smith still left in there worshiping God. Now that's not because God is uh, a respecter of persons. That's not because Smith was God's favorite. I would say it was two things. He was a man of faith and he absolutely had just unwavering faith in God and who he said he was. 
uh, and he made that choice to pay those prices to live in, in holiness as a holy man of God. It's kind of a neat story to challenge us as, as we close, you know. Uh, that wasn't every moment, you know, but those precious moments came. And because he allowed holiness to sanctify and refine, he was able to have an interaction with God in his generation that many of his peers were not able to have. Hey, what I take away from that story is it's really up to us, isn't it? Right? He's made us holy by his grace. Now let's walk out that holiness. Amen? Praise God. Well, Father, as we close here tonight, uh, we're just in awe of you. I am. Even just preaching and talking about this, Lord, I'm just in such awe of you. And God, I just say uh, on behalf of all of us here that are um, in this prayer time, Lord, we don't want to be those who take lightly your presence. We don't want to be those who take lightly our salvation. Lord, we don't want to be those who take lightly what Jesus did on the cross. Lord, we want to be those that have a, a reverence and an awe and a healthy honor and respect, a reverential fear. Lord, forgive us where we have gotten too casual. Uh, forgive us for where we have changed who you've revealed yourself to be into something more to a, an image that's comfortable to our flesh or our soul. Help us to not try to bring you down to what's comfortable for us, but Lord, help us to know you as you are and to step into uh, living more as your holy people. God, I thank you that you have put such an incredible destiny, such an incredible sense of purpose on us, your people. You want the world to see you in us and through us. So Lord, I pray tonight that there would just be a fresh sense of calling. Lord, I pray even as, as we would say we humble our hearts, Lord, that we even repent here tonight and we say forgive us and cleanse us for every and any place where we need to be forgiven. Even Isaiah, who was walking out his level best as he grew in awareness of your holiness, realized he was sinful and undone. So Lord, continue in the image of your son. Faith, faith, and from glory to glory, Lord, we pray, continue to work us out. Lord, you talked about uh, the choices we make and how we live either makes us a vessel unto honor or a vessel unto dishonor, that the choice is ours. Lord, let it be that we would be committed to living out and walking out by faith, by the power of your spirit, walking out a life as a vessel unto honor. So God, we give you glory in all of these things. God, we thank you for it. And I just pray, Holy Spirit, would you fill us afresh and anew? Give us a hunger for you like we've never had before. Give us a fear of the Lord like we have never had before. Take the things that are distractions, the things that would take the place of hungry pursuit for you, and Lord, help us put those things aside. So God, we give you glory in all of this. We worship you. We say you're so worthy. You're so worthy, God. In Jesus' name, amen.